Welcome back to the Tapes Archive podcast, where we release interviews that have never been heard before. In this episode, we have the rarely heard from and the coolest OG from Guns N' Roses, Izzy Stradlin. At the time of this interview in 1993, Stradlin was 31 years old and out on tour with his band, the Juju Hounds. In the interview, Izzy talks about growing up in Indiana, the making of his debut record, and if he's still friends with his ex-bandmates from Guns N' Roses. In other Guns N' Roses related history, Mark, our fearless interviewer, had a negative brush with Axl Rose one year before this interview with Izzy. Mark had given Guns N' Roses only two and a half stars for the performance when they played the Hoosier Dome during their Monsters of Rock tour co-headlined with Metallica. Rose in turn blasted off an angry fax to Mark to let him know how he felt. If you'd like to read Axl's love letter to Mark and Mark's review of the show, head over to our website or Facebook page to read it. As a bonus, I've added a letter from one of GNR's fans that wanted to kick Mark's ass over the review. To make it even more Indiana-ish, the fans sent a letter to Mark via his jail cell in Hamilton County. As always, we have music critic Mark Allen at the helm conducting the interview. If you'd like to support the show, please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. There, we post other content and information not available on the podcast. If you'd like to read the transcripts for any of our episodes, please head over to our website at thetapesarchive.com. We'll jump into the interview after a quick word from our sponsors. The Tapes Archive is proud to be sponsored by the true crime documentary, Dead Man's Line. You've got a hundred armed officers around here trying to get a shot at me. I dared them to shoot me. I didn't go down there to be a buffoon. I went down there for vengeance. And God God, I'll have vengeance. In 1977, Tony Karitsis kidnapped a mortgage broker and held him captive for three days. For the first time ever, the media was able to cover the event live. To some, Tony was a hero. To others, he was a crazed thug. Dead Man's Line. The true story of Tony Karitsis. This award-winning film is available exclusively on Amazon Prime. One last thing before we get to the interview, the Tapes Archive podcast is a proud member of Osiris Media, a global community connecting passionate fans with podcasts and experiences about artists and topics you love. Thanks for tuning in, and now it's time to open the vault. Mark? Yes. Here's Izzy. Hi. Hello? Izzy? Yeah. Hi, it's Mark. Mark Allen, the Indianapolis Star. How you doing? Good. Good. Uh, How are you for that review you guys gave? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, we'll talk about that. Uh, <laughs> no, that's a that's a genuine uh, love that record review. You know. Cheers, man. I, uh, my dad uh, he faxed me that over when we were in Japan. Yeah, he says you guys got a great ride up here in the, the Indie Star. I was like, yeah, but and see it, and the, everybody was stoked in the band. Appreciate it. Oh no, we were, I was just absolutely knocked out because I had no idea what to expect. You know, I didn't know if you were going to come back with a record that sounded like Guns N' Roses or if you had some other ideas. And boy, I put that on and I was just you know blown away. So anyway, uh, you got a couple of fairly uh, sentimental songs on there about Indiana and. Uh, um, from, I guess what, what has, you've been quoted as saying in the past, uh, I didn't think you had a whole lot of feeling for this state. <laughs> yeah, my wife was ribbing me this morning about that. <laughs> because uh, you got to understand, from 1980 to 87, I was in, in California. And Guns N' Roses, we did some reviews back, uh, some interviews, like the first ones we'd done in 86 or 85. Drunker than shit, and the subject of Indiana came up. And somehow, you know, we were sputtering crap about it. But I, I, I moved back to Indiana. 
Indiana in 1988, uh, 89. I came back after we Guns N' Roses had been out on tour and made some money, and I bought a house back there, and I've based out of there since. And I don't know, it's just a case of uh, my family. I've got family, and I've got old friends back there, and, and kind of got to know the place again, I suppose. But I dig it back there. I, I was just out there last week, and we flew out here to get this. We're starting up our tour now. If, is it going to be strange for you to come home and play a club? It's going to be killer. Looking so forward to it. We just got back off a tour. We've been out for three months, Europe, and Japan, Australia. And the first gig we did before the tour started, we did a, a quick club gig up in Chicago. And it was um, sort of a launch. You know, we wanted to launch the tour out of the States and then come back and do it right. And uh, the response we got up there was really great, and the people made us feel really good. So, uh, in Indianapolis, well, last time, uh, well, we played, we did the, you did Deer Creek. Oh, that, yeah, and then, then I can't remember what the order was. I, I think it was Farm Aid first, and then Deer Creek with Guns N' Roses. So, yeah, Deer Creek. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and, and most of the gigs, you know, I, I wasn't. Well, I was playing in Guns N' Roses and. So when Axel would start to go off on a tirade, I'd kind of stand there and go, oh, come on, let's go, next song, next song, <laughs> you know, kind of embarrassing, but, you know. That's, that's how it felt in the audience, There's too. No shutting him up. Yeah. <laughs> Once he gets going, that's it. <laughs> no kidding. Well, one of the things that I, that I like so well about the record is that it's such a raw rock and roll album. And how close to live is this? When we recorded it, we did it like this. We would, we would rehearse the song. Sometimes it was just me, Jimmy, and Charlie, and sometimes it was me, Jimmy, and Rick. And uh, we'd rehearse it and get it to where it sounded decent and go in and play it through like three or four times and then move on to the next song. So in the course of a day, you know, we would get through quite a few songs and then we'd go back and pick the stuff out that, uh, that seemed to be a good take of it. So it was mostly live. and go back and throw on some overdub stuff for like vocals and guitar solos and maracas and stuff like that. So mostly live, which is yeah. exactly the way it sounds. Which is cool. Yeah. Well, after working on Illusions Records for like two years, you know, and recording, <laughs> I don't know, God, there were so many songs, I can't remember all of them. I just really had the urge to just go in and do it how we did Appetite for Destruction, which was you go in and just track it live, do three or four takes and, and, and move right along, you know, no messing around. The record got, I guess you, you would say, fairly positive reviews, but everyone notes how much it sounds like The Stones. Yeah. Does it sound like The Stones to you? Um, well, not Bucket of Trouble. No. Yeah. Uh, not Pressure Drop. I, uh, there's two guitars. I mean, there's the obvious two guitar thing that's happening. It has stone, it definitely has Stones, Stones influence and Stones vibes. And it's got a lot of other things too in it that, that, uh, maybe they're not as obvious, but to me, I mean, it's, you know, it sounds like the kind of music I like to play in here, so. Mm -hmm. And I love the Stones and reggae. I like any music, really. I listen to all kinds of stuff, even classical or just anything. I just love music. In retrospect, would you make the same record again? Yeah, I think the next one we do, we'll do it the same style, you know, it's the same groove. And that's the main thing is keep the grooves in the, in the songs. We tried to lean towards, you know, make sure each song had a good groove that you could, you could follow. If you had been unknown before this record, do you think critics would have cut you some slack? I don't know, you know, I, uh, I, it's hard to say. It's hard to say because I, I never have understood what motivates someone to write a bad review or what motivates someone to really want to put some 
people down, like bands. Like, I read a review of Keith Richards' show when he played L.A. It was just sort of, I don't know, kind of sarcastic, and they said he did pointless rendition of this and that. And I think, uh, fuck, I mean, I saw those guys play live, and I thought they were just great. I'm sorry, you were asking me that? Well, I guess I wondered if, if, if you had been unknown, would they have looked at the record differently? I mean, you know, I just wonder if, oh. if people are thinking about you and thinking about Guns N' Roses and then comparing those two, and would your reviews have been different, maybe more favorable or something else? Yeah, it's hard to say. Yeah. It's hard to say. I... Uh, I don't know. Anyway, let me ask you about some of the songs. Um, uh, Shuffle It All makes it sound like you're kind of uh, exhausted by the whole rock and roll lifestyle. Uh, is that an accurate reading of, of the song as you wrote it at the time? That song was a song that Jimmy and I put the music together for first. He had this bass riff, and uh, we put that song together without any lyrics first, and started putting the lyrics together, and... I had a lot of lyrics for that song, like more than any on the album. It, was, it took the longest for me to write that one. And yeah, it ended up being a lot of, I guess, just flashing back on constantly living out of a suitcase and constantly traveling, and, but at the same time enjoying it. But yeah, at that time, I think it was, the baggage was getting a little heavy, maybe. Yeah, so I, I would figure that you feel differently about the lifestyle now. being. In I've always loved touring. I got a... I got a bad rap from the Gunners about, you know, not wanting to tour and do videos and all that. I've always loved traveling and I've always loved playing different places. I'm not really sure what that song is exactly about, <laughs> but it's basically about always putting those bags, shuffling the stuff out of your bags. Because I've lived from suitcase to suitcase for the last, since 86. It really gives, you know, kind of this impression of just being tired of, of what you'd been going through. And uh, so I kind of figured that's, uh, that that may have been something that you were writing either while you were still with Guns N' Roses or just after it. Uh, yeah, it was just after. Yeah. Um, what, what are your re uh, recollections of uh, the train tracks that you, uh, other than what you sing about in the song? <laughs> I, have, I have a very similar, uh, the same thing happened to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what, exactly what I would do when I was a kid. So. Yeah, well, it's uh, where I grew up in Lafayette. We lived by the, the train tracks. That's where we used to hang out all the time, was, was down there. We'd ride dirt bikes and just hang out and build tree forts, all that kind of stuff. And it was, uh, it was just like my favorite place to be or to hang out. And when I came back there in uh, 88, that was the first place I went back to when I got back there. I was just kind of hanging out going, man, this place, you know, I used to love hanging out here. This is my favorite place. And that got the idea going for the song back then. It's just kind of a, uh, what's it called, a biography tune or something, you know? A little bit about, because that's where I used to hang out and we moved out to the West Coast and boom, you know, this band popped and got a bunch of bad habits and kicked all that shit. and. You know, but I still like hanging out down there. Did uh, your family, did that song make them feel a little uh, squirrely talking about getting stoned by the train tracks? Uh, <clears throat> no, I mean, I haven't, I haven't gotten no flack yet from my, my pop or my, my mom, so uh, I okay. guess, well, there's no lyrics on the liners. So. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> My dad, you kind of, they, I think they like the record. What caused you to write the song, Come On Now Inside? I wrote that back in Lafayette, right before I came back out to L.A. With, to hook up with Jimmy, bass player. It was after I left Guns N' Roses, and it was one of the first winners that I'd ever really spent that much time back in, the, in Indiana. And uh, I was there for just about a month, and man, it's like, you know, 
it just was pretty, the weather was really bad. And I was sitting around, and one day the sun came up, man, and I started feeling really good, you know, and I just forgot how much, how good it felt to have a little sunshine. And I was sitting up my 8-track and pulling out guitars and stuff, and I just tracked that song and just put it all together right there. And it's just one of those songs. Tell me about Morning Tea, which I'm told is the title of the uncredited song. Yeah. That's that's a really cool thing and, and completely unexpected in, in, in many aspects. You know, you don't know that it's coming, for one thing. Well, how it started was I've always wanted to do, like, just a percussion thing. I've, I've always been into drums. I played drums before I played guitar or bass or anything. We did this thing in Chicago, and we had everybody, the, the road crew and the band and everybody, we all playing different drums. And I got a couple of these Indian drums that I bought. Uh, down in Oklahoma, like ceremonial drums, and the song started out, we did it in Chicago, and then we mixed the album in Copenhagen, and uh, Jimmy met this guy, his name's Agaf, and he's Rastafarian, and he, he teaches uh, African tribal drums, that's what he does for a living, and we met this guy, and we hung out with him, and he's super cool guy, he's never been to America, which really blew my mind, uh, talking to a guy, he's, you know, from Africa, living in Copenhagen, and he's, he's never been to America, so he has uh, no idea what it's like here, but so he showed me like a basic pattern of this one drum beat. Or th there were three parts to it. He showed me the basic beat, and I could play the basic beat. The other stuff was really complicated. It was really hard for me to, to, to learn how to play any of that other stuff. And so we did a live track. It was me and him. I played just on this talking drum, and then he played the answer drum, which came back. I go and he go tracks to it and at the end it was finished up we had this track of guitar feedback and we kind of stuck that in there with it uh, it was a trip though i mean the, that drumming stuff is really powerful and some of these guys that they really know what they're doing it's, it's incredible it's like trance yeah well is that the kind of thing that you might try more of in the future yeah i mean it's something i still got these tapes i've got all these uh, it's west african ritual drums and it's they've got like for ceremonials like when when a child is born or they have like war, war songs and stuff like that. I've always listened to these tapes over the years. I turned Steven Tyler onto a tape when we were on tour with him back in 87 with Guns N' Roses. And they used some of that stuff on the beginning of, what was it called? Some kind of voodoo off of Pomp. Oh, okay. Or something, yeah, sure, I'd love to do some more stuff with it. Maybe on the next album, do just a, like a song, have it part of the record or something, mm -hmm. or, or an intro maybe. Uh, Agafa, do you have any idea how to spell that? Yeah, it's uh, A-G... A F A. Okay. He's got a really long name. It was like uh, Agafu Agafa Atsu Amarti. Uh, really long. We'll, we'll give up on that part. Yeah. But, uh, so we just call him Agafa. Yeah. <laughs> Good plan. <laughs> uh, how, how do you feel as a front man? Are you comfortable uh, in the spotlight? Yeah, it's fine. It's um. I I always say at GNR rehearsal, most of the rehearsals, it was usually just the band. Axel wasn't usually at all the rehearsals, so I'd always been singing guidebooks for Welcome to the Jungle and Paradise City and all that stuff, and it was always something I'd been doing, but it was pretty easy step to, to, to go into that. Uh, I mean, the first <coughs> the first week, it was it was one of those things where you go and I say to myself, I say, well, I can sing enough, you know, to, to pull this off, and the only question would have been whether or not my voice would take it, you know, whether it would hold up to it, and after three months of being on the road, it's no problem. you got to do some warm-ups. You need to do, like, 20 or 30 minutes of warm-up every night, and that's about it, really. Yeah. 
Uh, hi, it's me, Denise. I hi. want to give you a little wrap-up signal. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Just a couple other things then. Are you still friendly with uh, those guys in Guns N' Roses? Uh, yeah. Uh, Duff tried calling me here last night, like 4 in the morning, but I was sleeping. And I got the message this morning. And uh, I saw Slash in New York last year in January. And I've talked to Matt. I haven't talked to Axel for the last year, since uh, December of 91. But uh, I'm sure he's been busy, you know. And, uh, but I've left, I've, you know, left the left the doors open if they want to call or anything like that. There's no animosity on my part. One thing I got to ask you is, what the hell is wrong with that guy? Who? The Axel. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. You'll have to ask him. <laughs> He's just, I don't know. I, forget about the conduct, you know, and the, all the weird things. I mean, that guy's just out of control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta wonder. Yeah, I just, I thought maybe you had some clues since you've known him for so many years. I, uh, I really don't. <laughs> How'd you feel when you saw that Where's Izzy sign in the video? Did that make you mad? Uh, what was that Don't Cry video? Yeah. I thought, well, shit, I'm here in Indiana, man. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, what do you mean, where am I? <laughs> Since you got to go, I wanted to ask you, can, can we do something in person and more in depth when you're home? Yeah, yeah I mean, sure. I'd like to just, you know, either come up and, and talk to you at, at the house or, you know, if you don't want to do that, just, you know, kind of driving around Lafayette and talking about places you used to hang when you were a kid and that kind of stuff. Yeah, man, that could be cool. Yeah. Uh, the next, we're, we're going to be back there in a few weeks here on tour. Right. So maybe we could set something up. I'm sure there'll be a lot of people down there from Lafayette. There'll be probably a scene, but we could probably do some, hook up something maybe in the daytime. Or That'd be great. That'd be great. Um, how, how can we work this? I guess you need to get a hold of Alan, the management, or, or tell the, uh, Geffen okay. and try to set it up in advance. Oh, that'd be really cool. That, yeah. That'd be great. Because there's a lot of things I want to ask you, and I knew we only had 20 minutes, so I'm just uh, yeah, okay. covering the bases. But, yeah, sure, we can do something again. That'd be great. Yeah. All right, then, uh, thanks. I'm really looking forward to the show. I think this is going to be this is gonna be really cool. Um, do you have a lot of stuff that's uh, unreleased that you're going to be playing? Yeah, we got we got a few songs that we we haven't uh, recorded yet. Okay. All right. Well, I'll let you go, and uh, I'll try to set something up, and uh, I hope uh, we can get it together. I'd like, I I can't wait to see you. Cool, man. All thanks, right, Mark. Thanks. Take care. Right. Bye bye. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tapes Archive podcast. Please remember, you can always find more information about the show and the individual episodes at our website, thetapesarchive.com. Until next time, the vault is closed. <laughs>